broadcasting to you from the Badlands of Texas, all the way around the world, from Southern Australia, all the way to Northern Ireland. You are listening, or you are watching Midnight Radio, friends. Hello, how are you doing? I'm your host, Jerry Adams. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's good to see you again. And before we start the show today, there's something very important I want to show you, and that is, I showed this one time before, but I don't think people caught on, but it... We tested it, it worked, and here's what it is. Well, we are not going to self-censor ourselves, no matter if YouTube or any other organization wants to do that. We believe in free speech, and we always will. If you don't like free speech, then don't use yours. We'll use ours. So here's what we're going to do. Whenever there's a topic that might be too spicy for YouTube, then you're going to see this following video. Just a little one, just a little clip. And what that means is that you, if you subscribe to our Spotify and get the podcast, you're going to see that full story unedited out. So it's going to be edited out of YouTube. And that's why you're going to see this video. So it's going to play when I'm in the middle of a story. And if our team thinks it's too spicy, then it'll cut off to this video again. And once it's deemed not back to YouTube, uh, standards, then um, it'll continue the video. But the full thing will be available uninterrupted on our website and on Spotify. Again, this is when you see this video. Here it is. All right, so if that video plays, it is uninterrupted on our Spotify. I'd like to thank our executive producer for the show, Lady Lisa. Lady Lisa, thank you very much. We appreciate it. If you'd like to become a producer and executive producer for the show, if you're there and watching this live, and this is recorded live in front of a YouTube audience, then you can give a super sticker, a super chat, $20 or more. That goes directly to our radio license, our online radio license. We have an online radio station at midnightrad.io. That's exactly where that goes to. That helps keep us going, and you get an executive producership for the show. A producer is anything under anything under 20, so thank you very much. Have you been wondering, and this is a big conversation we're, we're about to have, about the TikToker that was being sued for defamation from the... Idaho State University professor. Well, we have an update on that. I'm going to show it to you right now. Check this out. She's countersuing because she says her reputation was ruined. Oh, such an update on this. This is a conversation I want to have with you. Let me make sure the phone number is 325-261-0892. At any time you want to talk about some of these uh, stories we're going over you can call that number leave a message and i will play it on the next show all right her name is ashley let me make sure i'm saying her name correctly jillard ashley jillard all right now she said that professor rebecca schofield was sexually involved with one of the women uh in the that was a victim in the idaho four house all right
she was accused. She accused. Let me sum this back up for you. She was accused. Uh, she accused a university professor, Rebecca Schofield, of playing a role in the quadruple murder. Denied she defamed the teacher with her claims and then countersued for damages to her reputation. All right. Ashley Gerard. The name of her TikTok, by the way, is Ashley's in the Book of Life. Uh, her username is Ashley Solves Mysteries. I'm going to put a link to her TikTok in the description for this video. So she was claiming that Rebecca Schofield had a sexual relationship with one of the women in that house. Kaylee, she claimed it was Kaylee, and she claimed that Jack committed the crime on Rebecca Schofield's behalf, all right? All of this by the police have been ruled out and claimed false, and yet she continued. She continued at the time, and then Rebecca Schofield sent her uh, request to cease and desist. She never ceased and desist. And uh, I'm going to say that she still hasn't ceased and desist. She uh, still talks about it on a near daily basis. Matter of fact, I'd say she's quadrupled down on it. And now she's countersuing Rebecca Schofield. Let's go into this. The statements made about Professor Schofield are false, plain, and simple says Schofield's attorney, Wendy Olson. What's even more worse is that these untrue statements create safety issues for the professor and her family. She says that Rebecca ordered a hit on the college students. Two of the TikToks directly and falsely state that Professor Schofield ordered the execution of the four students. Three of the TikToks either falsely implied or directly stated that Professor Schofield had been involved in a relationship with one of the murder students. KG, the lawsuit added. Gillard did not back down after the lawsuit was filed. She told her followers, I am not stopping, and questioned why Schofield needed a lawyer to fight the lawyer if she's so innocent. The case was filed before the police took the suspect, Brian Kohlberger, into custody. He is now in custody, and I know you're wondering what she's saying now. We're going to go into it. Now, she denied all allegations of wrongdoing. And she wrote this, the uh, four University of Idaho students were brutally murdered without the arrest of the murderers. There's a presumption of danger to the public. This is what she wrote. This was before Kohlberger was captured. University of Idaho constituents and Idaho residents discovering and revealing the murders with the intent to get them investigated and arrested is an act to warn others about harm and danger. She said the statements were made in the public interest of the public. The TikToker said her statements about the professor were not made with malice and are protected by the First Amendment. Her countersuit took issue with statements the professor made about her publicly. She says Schofield and her lawyer executed a strategy to discredit, embarrass, and humiliate her. She said the statements... 
that she used the community's pain for her online self-promotion. The case is ongoing. So she's countersuing. How's that going? I'm going to continue following this case. So I looked at her TikTok today, which is something that this article, which I got from Radar, which I'll put a link to. I Man, I have massive links to everything I talk about, everybody. I really do. Let's look at this. Let's look at her TikTok. Uh, Pellegrino. Drink of champions here at Midnight Radio. Let's look at her TikTok, everybody. Check this out. All right. I'm going to, let's see. Let me go back. Actually, I'll play this one first. And then we'll look at what her, she's doubled down. She's never stopped talking about it. She hasn't even changed her story, which makes no sense to begin with. All right. So some, this is her commenting on what someone put was Coburger. Coburger. I don't know why I call him Coburger. I don't care. Nothing burger. The killer of Ohio's, the Idaho students, if not. All right. Now this is what. All of this brings in question to me, and I've seen a lot of other YouTubers talk about these things. Uh, Anon Harsh, you know, people were talking about him and yelling at him about him and uh, blaming other people and not backing down, doubling down, getting massive views for it, which this lady still does, by the way, over this. She's still getting attention from this. And now it's almost... Uh, a point where she has to, she's going to be able to afford it. And I'm, I'm not sure how TikTok's monetized, actually. Um, so I could be wrong on that. So uh, call the phone number or email me, midnightrad.io101. Send me straight on this. It's almost like she has to double down. And other people are talking on YouTube about aspects of the case which have nothing to do with reality. All right, and I'm not saying that's everybody, but I'm asking you this. So at the end of the day, when the trial is over and Kohlberger is either convicted or not convicted and the evidence is shown or not shown, how do you feel about the the YouTubers and the TikTokers that are talking and focusing on these one things just for the sake of content? And it's going to be deemed that it wasn't true. and It was obviously not true. How do you feel about, here's what I think. Here's what I think. I don't think it matters. I don't think you're going to be upset. I think they know what they're doing. I think you know what they're doing, but you're interested to see if there's a nugget of truth in there. And it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I don't think it'll matter. All right. But I want to know what you think about that. Am I right? Does it matter? Does reporting truthfully or with ethics about the Idaho Ford, does that matter? I don't think it does. 325-261-0892. I think uh, we'll all just carry on. Let me know if if that'll change your opinion of what you view next time when there's a major crime like this, a major story that we're all involved in. All right. So she's doubled down. Here's an example right here. So I already posted this on my website and on my backup page. But anyway, the night of the murders, Rebecca Schofield was trying to get in touch with Jack DeCourt. She was having anxiety and control issues because he was not communicating with her. Before he committed the murders, he stole Murphy back. That was, he cared more about Murphy than he did the money. He just felt like 
money, like the most important thing was Murphy to him. I would remind so you, anyway, this is new. Um, so he spent some time in introspection before he committed the crimes to make sure it was something that he wanted to do. To do Again, getting Murphy back brought emotional satisfaction and fulfillment to him. So the rest of the stuff, he had to think if he really wanted to do it. So he started thinking about... All right, I'm going to stop it there. It goes on. This is brand new, by the way. Brand new. This isn't one of the old videos. This is one of the new videos. Yeah, so uh, let me read some of these comments here. She she keeps on going. All right. Now, legally, this is this is crazy, guys. So follow me. I do know a lot about defamation. I've been involved in it before. I've been following stories about it. I've had to send out cease and desists. So let's talk about this. Rebecca Schofield, I don't know if she has talked about it or not, or if it was just the media or the information she put out on the media. But if somebody sends you a cease and desist order, or I'm sorry, reverse that. If you send a cease and desist order out, you should not talk about the case anymore or else you're involved in, you know, um, brick, brick for Brack, you know, you can talk back and forth. This how radio show hosts talking about people or talking about celebrities, you know, they can get away with it because it's almost like they agree to do that type of thing. Now, I don't know if Rebecca's done that, but is she right that this is covered under the First Amendment, knowing that it's patently false or it being false information? And the answer to that is yes, absolutely. Did you know that lies are covered under the Constitution? It's true. It is. Don't let anybody tell you different because it is. It's already been found to be covered under the Constitution, but under free speech. But not in the case if you are standing in a movie theater yelling fire and people get hurt. You're not allowed to do that with your free speech. So in the the paperwork, in the suit, the defamation, her saying that you're putting my life in danger, that is saying that not only is what you're saying is false, but you're hurting me. You know, you put that in the language of the paperwork you file, and it's either you're hurting me financially or you're physically putting my life in danger. And both of these ladies did that. Notice that. Their lawyers did that. That's why. Because, yes, it's covered under the freedom of speech, but... When you're getting into harming somebody because of your speech, you're not allowed to do that. Okay. Now, there's a recent case with Alex Jones. Okay. I was involved in this from the beginning because I was working in a radio in Ohio. And I remember the day after the shooting that he was talking about, you know, I went to see, well, what is Alex Jones saying about this? Because we know his tactics. His tactics are just whatever the... The tragedy was at the time he'd blame it on the government. Before there was any time to investigate, snap fingers, this is what he did. And the way his business model was, was to make everybody scared, afraid of the government. You have to go him to him to get the truth. This is what he did. And for five years at Sandy Hook, he was talking about the shooting at Sandy Hook, blaming it on the government, saying that the the... The family were crisis. He did this for five years. This wasn't a mistake. He did this on purpose. Make no mistake about it. And he did it for money. All right. Uh, doesn't matter if you agree with me for or not. 
He did. It's a fact. We all knew it. He knew it. Now, here's the difference. Was he covered under the freedom of speech? Yes, he was. Did he do harm to the families? They say mental harm. In the court of law, they said he did. Okay. But here's the difference between these two people. Here's the difference between Rebecca and Ashley here. Money. Ashley is, uh, how much money does she have? She doesn't have billions. She doesn't have millions, a billion. She doesn't have multi-millions like Alex Jones does and does and did. All right? She doesn't. But neither does the professor. Neither does Rebecca. So how far can this lawsuit go? I think you'll be surprised. She keeps fighting it. All right? Ashley keeps fighting it. So this is very interesting, and this is why. Uh, she continues to fight it. Um, Rebecca, what recourse what recourse does Rebecca have to continue to continue to have her finances drained from fighting this? I mean, this is gonna come into incredible sums of money the farther and the farther it goes. So I'm gonna keep looking at this. This is very interesting. Let me read to you what some of these people are saying, okay? Poor Rebecca, but you're going to be paying her for a long time. Imagine being in this state of delusion, just like imagine the bliss. When is your court date? Girl, leave Rebecca alone. O-M-L. Oh, my Lord. You're still doing this? I think your cards are broken. Girl, his DNA was literally at the crime scene. Her eyes tell you everything you need to know. Jack needs to sue next. Miss ma'am, at first I was mad what you were doing. Now I'm actually genuinely concerned. Girl, I just want to spiritually witness your upcoming trial. When is that miniseries going to release? Source. Trust me, bro. If you look at her body language, it doesn't take a body language scientist to tell you what's going on. You can see her staring up, you know, making stuff up, uh, filling in the blanks with her own mind. And, um, this is sad, but I'm watching it with my popcorn and I'm going to talk to you and update you as we go. So that is the state of where we're at. Let's go back. And I want to show you some of our other videos. We're not going to look at them. Um, here's one that just popped up now. So I'm trying my best not to the current, uh, Everything is still about the trial that she talks about. The current diversity jurisdiction provision is, and it has a code, it grants federal court jurisdiction in all civil actions between citizens. So she continues to talk about this in every post. I signed off the comments because most of them have no knowledge, no merit, lack in original thought, or evil, add absolutely no value to me or anyone reading it, and so therefore, it's no reason for me to give you an opportunity to speak. And there you go. All right, continuing here. All right. I have an update on the McFadden case. And it's from your girl, Banfield. This is not an active crime scene. This case is solved. 
The pictures that you see scrolling on your screen right now are missing children in Oklahoma. And we've only chosen the missing children who have gone missing since Jesse McFadden was let out of prison in November of 2020. So for the entire time that I'm going to discuss this next segment, you will see these children and their names and their faces and their ages. They are all missing. This came to us from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. The curious thing is, is why were these kids not top of mind when they found that horrible sex chamber? Why did they not think it was possible? Maybe even probable, given that Jesse McFadden... Sex chamber. All right, in the whole house. The whole house was basically a sex chamber from what we saw. Now, an interesting occurrence lately is one of the parents of one of the girls whose life was taken away by this obscene pervert, all right? He has come out saying, hey, 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 some of this information is coming out from on News Nation isn't true. There was no underwear, bloody underwear or bloody clothing found underneath the floorboards. So that's not true. And also some of the information about the, what do you call it? saying that they had a journal with people's names in it and times and dates. That wasn't correct either. So he's come out saying that. We're trying to get him on the show. And uh, right now he's doing a campaign to make sure more things are done to prevent this from happening again. All right? But let's continue here. The question is, how many more victims are there? And uh, she's, Bantil's taking a hard stance right here now murdered his entire family and two kids on a sleepover. And then he had all of that sex paraphernalia and dungeon-like equipment in his home. Why is it not plausible that maybe one of these kids may have been there? Maybe one of these kids may have died there. Lynn Wyatt is is the aunt of Holly. Holly is his wife. She got a bullet to the head too. It is possible she was even complicit in these sexual crimes that occurred there. Maybe more Why? Because possible. she said, although it's being disputed, she said she found blood-covered children's clothes under the floorboards of the house, ledgers with names and ages, that's not being disputed, hidden no, Velcro no. restraints, not disputed, handfuls of pictures, somewhat disputed, dozens of cell phones, and even bones on the property. And yet, a deputy told these family members, heard this about isn't the an active crime scene itself. What good would it do to continue working in here to solve? The only person who knows what happened here is dead. What good would it do? What good would it do? Look at these faces. Look at these faces of missing kids. This is what good it might do. Are they from the area? We might get some answers. Every one of these kids represents a family with a hole in their heart. They need answers. They deserve answers. And they deserve police to give them kids. those answers. Joining me now is Kathleen Canning Mello. She was an FBI agent and profiler for more than 30 years, specializing in violent crime and investigations involving children. Um, <clears throat> what are the chances, Kathleen, that... I'm surprised and almost shocked that Coffin Daffer is not on here. There were more victims, possibly some of these kids, uh, that had seen that home. I think there is definitely a possibility, and given what we know about Jesse McFadden's behavior, the fact that he was a sexual predator, and I'm seeing many characteristics of psychopathy in his behavior as well, um, during the decades-long uh, 
patterns that we have seen during his lifetime of offending. I think it's a question that needs to be answered. And I think now I'm, I'm happy and relieved to see that the OSBI is now investigating this case uh, and especially um, having taken control of all of those electronic devices, because those would be the first things that we would seize in a case like this in order to determine what kind of collection he may have had in those devices, who he was corresponding with over the last few years. And what's really, I think, important to note um, when I'm thinking about psychopathy, you know, his lack of empathy, the fact that he had um, early behavioral problems going back to his teen years um, in terms of his sexual predation of others. Um, but also uh, this manipulation that we see um, with, when he had uh, told Holly, uh, he actually had hired somebody to tell Holly that the rape, the violent rape that he had committed back in 2003 was not uh, a rape and that it was a misunderstanding. So there are a lot of red flags for me um, that may indicate that he may have other victims because he was a very uh, prolific sex offender um, and very highly competent in terms of his manipulation of others. Can I ask you, when um, Aunt Lynn told us that she discovered when she moved a dresser, um, Velcro restraints that were taped to the back of the dresser, um, and asked, a, this is in her estimation, this is her description, she asked the officer who was on scene, would you like to take them? He said, no, you can either toss them out or take them home, but um, everything here is going to be thrown out. I, I just imagine that Velcro restraints would be rich with evidence and DNA. I would assume that's how you match potential kids like this with scenes like that. But the sheets, the bedding, the restraints, everything seemed to be left behind, just rich with all this evidence. Yes, I mean, from, from the start, this should have... All right, I will say this, okay? Uh, just so you know, this is a bit theatrical, what Ashley Banfield is doing right here. All these girl, all these girls, all of these children here that are scrolling on the screen are from... Oklahoma, but but not necessarily from this area. So it's also a question of jurisdiction, is it not? So you got to ask yourself, and they're asking themselves, and, and this isn't right, and this isn't me saying this, but it takes a lot of money for testing DNA, and if you don't know what you're testing it against, you would have, let's say, Orlando Hugger, for example, 12 years old. He was missing from 300 miles away on the other side of Oklahoma. Are they going to test whatever DNA they get on that strap? And then they're going to go try to find some of Orlando Hugger's DNA that was left over. And a lot of these children who leave and go missing, they, um, unfortunately, they're runaways from home. And after they run away, they're taken advantage of by sexual predators that are looking for runaway kids in certain areas. All right. That's what happens. So you got to wonder how compliant the parents would be for some of these children. I'm not saying all of them, I'm saying some of them. So, I mean, there's different things going on here. Just, just so we have that in the conversation. 
been a very intensive forensic search of that house. Um, so, of course, collect all the electronic uh, game gaming equipment, all of the computers, but all of those items that may have DNA on them, particularly those restraints. And we know about him uh, in the 2003 rape that he had used restraints against his victim. So this is something that is part of his sexual sexual arousal patterns. I see sadism in his behavior as well, of uh, this potential torture, as you're, you're calling it in your program, um, that is... Potential torture. I'm going to stop it right here. This might be a little bit too, too much, too much. Uh, Ashley, you can get away with it, but I'm sure I can. Uh, the full link will be in the video description. All right. So check this out. I saw this recently, uh, just to juxtapose all this. Um, have you ever seen these pictures? These are always traumatic, aren't they? You know, somebody that's been on meth for a while, just breaks your heart as you see the soul leave somebody. So this is a lady from 2001. You see her? And then she was on meth for a while, and it's 2008, and now look at her. Just seven years. 2000, look at this man. He got addicted. Oh, my God, look like him. Look at him now. I feel so sorry for these people. Oh, there's Zelensky, 2019 and 2023. I saw it. I just wonder what the hell was going on. I got a new story right here. Texas man, unlife girlfriend after she traveled to Colorado for an abortion. Now, this is being heavily played right now, so I thought we'd talk about it. It's in my neck of the woods, right? A man fatally shot his girlfriend in Dallas this week after learning that she'd gone out of state to undergo an abortion procedure. Harold Thompson, 22, allegedly shot and killed 26-year-old Gabriela Gonzalez in a parking lot Wednesday after he learned that she had traveled to Colorado to have an abortion and returned the previous day, according to an arrest warrant obtained by CBS. Nearly all abortions are banned in Texas. Thompson was believed to be the father. The affidavit read and did not want the victim to get an abortion. The shooting was captured on surveillance video, and it showed the suspect first putting Gonzalez in a chokehold, shooting her once in the head, and then firing several more shots after she fell to the ground. Gonzalez died at the scene. Gonzalez's sister also told officers that she happened to be passing by and saw the couple together in the parking lot just prior to the shooting and then heard the gunfire, looked back, and saw her sister on the ground. Thompson was later arrested on murder charges. Texas is one of the several states which enacted trigger laws banning abortion in response to the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe versus Wade. I'm going to talk about this um, because it's a horrific crime in my neck of the woods, but not only that, but because of the way it's being framed by the media is completely dishonest. All right. Uh, Roe versus Wade was overturned. And here's the reason why it is not, it was not to ban abortion. It was saying that the States are the ones that have the right to, to allow abortion or to ban it. And the federal government didn't have the authority to do it according to the Constitution. So that's the truth. Now, as it relates to this story, Texas is one of the states which said, no, uh, we're not going to allow abortion here. 
But did her having an abortion in Colorado, how was that? How is that, which is a horrible thing, by the way, and I'm not saying it's not, but her having an abortion in Colorado, how does that relate to the crime of her being murdered for having an abortion, if that is indeed the reason? Maybe, I mean, we don't know why. They they said that's why. It hasn't gone to trial yet. We don't have any uh, witness statements on that. But let's say that is the reason. If she had the abortion in Texas, the murder still would have took place. So, and it didn't have to be a gun either. It could have been horrible, horrible story. And let me tell you this, there is never a good reason to kill somebody. There's never a good reason to murder. But just pay attention to the way the stories are framed. Horrible. This story right here, this is also framed uh, in not a good way because you see it. Wanted Las Vegas woman arrested after commenting under news media posts about her case on social media. So you're thinking to yourself when you see this, oh, what an idiot. Then you read the story and you're like, a Las Vegas, Nevada woman with seven DUI arrests wanted for allegedly cutting off her ankle monitor was taken back into custody after commenting on a news media article posted to Facebook. Marion Reyes, 36, turned herself into the Las Vegas. She well turned herself in to the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department's Traffic Bureau on Friday. The day after, a post from the bureau asked the public for help locating her and uh, purported that she cut off her ankle monitor. And she replied on the post, "I never cut it off. An officer cut it off when I turned myself in. They continued to release me." Reyes commented on Facebook under a news post from News 8 saying police need help finding her. The traffic bureau responded, then why not turn yourself in now? Let's get this sorted out. So she spoke with the intervention officer on Thursday and turned herself in on Friday. And a judge ordered her to spend two days in jail for missing a court date during a felony DUI program. So how is this a national news media story? Because of the way they framed, they framed the story. All right. It wasn't like you're thinking, oh, some stupid idiot responded on social media. Aha. Come on now. Look at how things are framed. This story here, though, is disturbing. Very disturbing. Teenage woman in Artesia has been charged with the murder of her newborn son. Police say Alexi Treviso went to the hospital with lower back pain, denying she was pregnant. After locking herself in a bathroom, she put the baby in a hospital trash can. By the time the newborn was found, it was dead. All right, I'm going to put this full story there in the description below. Very, very disturbing. Oh, my Lord. Here's a little bit more of the story. So she was in the emergency room for lower back pain. She denied she was pregnant. A lab test showed that she was. And then right after that, she locked herself in the bathroom. Staff eventually told her that they were entering. She opened the door for the nurses. All right. The bathroom was covered in blood and they started treatment on her. Later in the day after she was gone... 
They checked and didn't find anything. Later in the day when she was gone, housekeeping went in there to clean everything up, and they found a dead baby boy in the trash can with no signs of life. And that's where we're at, but there's an update today. Right here. An attorney for her has made a statement. Gary Mitchell is representing the 19-year-old Alexi who is currently behind bars facing a first-degree murder charge. I think it's pretty outrageous, actually, said Mitchell. She's in great distress because she's in jail and never been there before and didn't do anything to deserve being there. I don't care what the state of New Mexico may allege. According to police, she went to an Artesia hospital in January for severe back pain and denied being pregnant. But criminal charges state the lab work at the hospital showed she was pregnant. Police state she had the baby in the bathroom. An employee cleaning the bathroom found the newborn baby boy dead, tied up in a trash can bag and hidden under other items. Medical investigators listed the cause of death as entrapment, meaning the child was trapped alive in an enclosed space without oxygen. And it was listed as a homicide. She's at the only facility where she can get help, and then this happens. I have serious problems with that. I have serious problems with the hospital. This is a lawyer. I have serious problems with the records. We're not getting out of this hospital because I don't necessarily think it's correct and honest, said Mitchell. He claims there's more to the story. They did some lab work, but they gave some medication before and gave it anyway, and that's powerful painkillers, he said. Mitchell describes her as a good student involved in cheer and choir with no history of getting in trouble he also said she's already committed to new mexico state university to continue her education i have serious problems with the charge in this case which is first degree murder you can bet your life we're going to defend this tenaciously the state has filed a motion to keep her behind bars until trial mitchell argues she should be released in part because she never fled after the incident and has no criminal history He also called Bell and Bond in the criminal justice system archaic and barbaric. She's just lost a son. She just lost a child. I mean, come on, there has to be some common human decency here. A hearing to determine whether she will stay locked up is scheduled for Tuesday. Disturbing, guys. That poor child. This is a story that is making headlines, and I'm waiting until there's more to it. I feel like there's more to it. I'm going to play uh, this video for you, and then we're going to talk about it. Missing Ohio EMT, Lachelle Jordan, found limping and barefoot, claims kidnappers tried to burn her alive. There she is. She limped in there. She asked for a phone. There it is. So what's going on here? Now, she was embroiled in a rape case, limped into a convenience store Thursday after escaping kidnappers who tried to burn her alive. And uh, let me talk about that rape case that she was 
She walks up the store counter, slaps both hands on the plexiglass barrier, reportedly telling the worker kidnappers had tried to burn her alive. She asks for a phone, calls 911. She said she got away from people that kidnapped her. They tried to burn her alive. The store clerk told the outlet that she looked nervous, very tired, like someone fought with her, adding that her shirt was ripped and looked as though it had been burned. She'd been missing for five days. She vanished after she went outside during lunch to get something from a car that was parked on the street. That was two days before she was expected to testify in the rape trial of a man accused of stalking her. And what he did, she was due to attend a pretrial hearing on Monday in a case involving Michael Stent, a longtime youth baseball coach charged with two counts of rape and one count of abduction in may of 2022 jordan had reported the 65 year old for stalking her on at least three different occasions including two days before she disappeared she also claimed a female friend of stennis has stalked her and tried to run her off the road jordan's twin sister rochelle who had been staying with her said a window in the home was shot through at about 6 a.m the day jordan went missing Stennett was charged Monday with one felony count of menacing by stalking, one felony count of violating a protection order while committing a felony. He's being held in the Chioga County Jail on a $100,000 bond. It is unclear whether Stennett or his female friend are connected to Jordan's kidnapping. Cleveland police have offered few details about the case and did not immediately respond to a request for comment. What do you guys think about this? Um, I'm going to continue to follow the story. I'm wondering if he had any involvement. I really think he did. I want to know more about how she escaped. Uh, she was limping in, but not very fast. I don't think she has any involvement whatsoever. I don't know. This story feels like we have missing information. Of course we are. Of course we do. We always do. But maybe we'll fill them in together, see what's going on here. All right, here's some good news. Traffic stop of U-Haul in Prince George County leads to discovery of a kidnapped woman. He was arrested Friday night after police say he kidnapped a woman in D.C. and then drove her around and assaulted her in a U-Haul truck during a day-long drive through D.C. and Maryland area. Authorities discovered the woman after an attempt to traffic stop of the u-haul led to a brief police chase friday night and the driver of the u-haul 62 year old dennis bell i'm telling you man these 60 year olds these 60 year old perverts now let me tell you something if you're 60 something and you're uh getting arrested for you know doing crap like this you've been doing it your whole life i guarantee you and he ran into a ditch got his ass arrested what do they find out they found out that he had a kidnapped woman in the u-haul he faces 14 criminal charges including first degree assault kidnapping false imprisonment fourth degree so possession of suspected cocaine and driving while impaired he also faces 19 traffic charges related to the incident police said the woman told them she encountered bell the convenience store on minnesota avenue in southeast dc friday morning and he pushed her in the u-haul truck the victim told police that bell threatened her life if she didn't comply with his demands Bell reportedly drove around all day with the victim sitting on the floorboards in the front seat, police said. 
The victim told officials that Bell removed all her clothing and used a pocket knife to stab her fingers. She said she did not know where she was while Bell was driving the truck. Police received multiple calls around 9.45 p.m. from motorists reporting U-Haul truck driving erratically and hitting multiple parked vehicles. Maryland State Police located the U-Haul truck on Route 450 and attempted a felony traffic stop. Police said Bell refused to stop, and the pursuit continued until the truck got stuck in a ditch at the intersection of Baltimore Avenue and Elm Street. According to officials, Bell refused to exit the vehicle after two troopers made multiple requests. The troopers were able to enter the U-Haul truck through the passenger side window and discover the unclothed victim sitting on the floor of the front seat with apparent wounds. Officers immediately rescued the woman, covered her with a jacket before first responders transported her to the hospital. Bell was arrested before officials transported him to the hospital. The department said he is currently held at the Upper Marlboro Department of Corrections. Please ask any witnesses to the alleged kidnapping to contact the Criminal Enforcement Division or Maryland State Police at the College Park Barrack. Very disturbing. Let me link to this in the show notes. My goodness. All right, here's here's some more good news. It's got a... No, you wouldn't think in this world that if you were playing in your own backyard or on your own property that you would be concerned about something like this. Um, but it just goes to show um, that, that there's evil out there. And and it can find anybody anywhere. And it did, Wednesday afternoon. Police say an eight-year-old girl in a rural area of Alpena Township, just south of the city, was hunting for mushrooms in her backyard when she felt someone grab her. Uh, The suspect had come through the woods onto her property and came from behind her, grabbed her like, like you'd see in the movies, hand over the mouth, arm around the waist, and was attempting to pull her into the woods. Grimshaw says that's when the girl's older brother, just 14 years old, saw something happening outside. He grabbed a slingshot and whatever ammunition he could find and fired two shots. Hero. One to the head, another to the chest of the alleged kidnapper, and his sister was able to get away. I mean, he really is the one that, um, that saved, that I believe saved his sister's either life or from something seriously bad happening to her. Um, you know, for a 14-year-old to see that and to pop into action that quickly is is uh, extraordinary, and uh, he should be commended for it. Troopers say they found the suspect, a 17-year-old boy, hiding in a gas station later that day. Uh, I know it'll sound probably somewhat funny the way it comes out, but it's not meant to be that way. But what he did also helped us to identify who the suspect was because obviously he had injuries from getting hit with a slingshot and... Those were things that helped us evidentiary-wise to identify who it was. So that was very... So that was some good news. Let's see if we can name and shame this smackerjacker. The 17-year-old's name has not been released, though he has been charged as an adult with one count of attempted kidnapping and child enticement, one count of attempted assault to do great bodily harm, less than murder and one count of assault and battery michigan state police said in a news release the eight-year-old girl was in her backyard when the alleged assailant came out of the woods grabbed her and covered her mouth authorities said the girl's brother 13 he was 13 not 14 
hit the alleged attacker in the head and chest using a slingshot. Police later arrested the 17-year-old based on another family member's description of the suspect. Authorities also said the teenager had visible wounds from the slingshot. Awesome. Link to that story will be in the show notes. You know, one of the things I do here is I continue to talk about how our economy is collapsing and it's not being told to you. Everything's fine. Uh, We don't want to talk about it. This is what, what is being said. All right. Here's another sign. Here's another sign right here. Paramount just, they released their financial earnings and everybody, it's not very good. All right. An analyst says that Paramount should just quit streaming at this point. Uh, Paramount has a lot of shows. Let me let me read this to you. Some of it. 60 million people can be wrong on Thursday morning. Paramount Global reported now having 60 million subscribers to its core streaming service, Paramount Plus. But by the end of a disastrous trading day, they were down 28%. 28%. One crippled by poorly quarterly earnings and a major cut to shareholders' dividends. Equity analyst Stephen Cahall of Wells Fargo suggested the company just quit streaming altogether at this point. In other words, keep making the things that they're making this, making the money. But not streaming. Paramount Plus, like every streaming service, not named Netflix or Hulu. Uh, Disney actually is also making a just as much money, if not more than Netflix, which I was surprised is not yet profitable. So we have Netflix and Hulu and Disney. Disney's in trouble too, by the way, in a different way, but streaming, streaming, they're okay. That's only the beginning of Cahill's argument. Analysts and media executives have long speculated that only a handful of all the streaming options around today will survive or make money in the long run. Cahill is ready to scratch one of that list today and even if bob bakish and his fellow senior uh, paramount executives are not so here's the deal guys just know things are changing you know if you want to watch if you want something for entertainment what are you going to watch you're going to watch youtube because you can watch exactly what you want about obscure things um man whether it's if you're into computers, you can, and you need specific information about a computer, you can put that in. If you want information about true crime, Idaho 4, hey, even Sasquatch, you can find that directly on YouTube, uh, these casual things floating around in your mind. And uh, if you're a child and you have the people that have more time on their hands are the ones that dictate what's being watched. And some of the biggest things on YouTube are children watching video games being played and how can that be how can they compete with that okay how can paramount compete with blippy for those that don't know blippy was created because of a search algorithm and it's a guy dressed up like a preschooler and he gets all excited about mundane things. Oh, a red truck or a digger. It's disgusting if you look at it. But this was a man who knew about search algorithms at the beginning of when algorithms started to drive YouTube. And this is what he did. And he's very profitable and on uh, YouTube and good for him. And that's how he did it. And we have Paramount here. That's a juxtaposition of what I just told you, Blippy. 
is not any money going into him making those videos, really. He's getting a high profit margin out of it. He has low overhead. And then you have Paramount. Um, if you look, and I, I, I like the programming, by the way. I really enjoy, um, yeah, some of the new programming they have. But it costs a lot of money. You have all those sets. You have all the actors you have to pay. Who does Blippy have to pay? He has to buy a new propeller hat every now and then when his old one gets soiled. Look at the overhead. In Ryan's World, for example, that is real low overhead. And it's not even quality. I would not even call it quality content. But people watch it. How can they compete with that? I think Netflix will take a hit in the future, too. But they've been around for a while, so they have a a strong market advantage. Disney has a market advantage because they have so many IP properties. But they're going to... Take, they're taking a hit now, too, in a different way. All right. The way Cahill sees it, Paramount Plus is fighting hard for fifth place in the streaming wars behind Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu, and HBO Max, soon just Max. And it's competing with the likes of Peacock, Apple TV, and Amazon Prime Video. According to Wells Fargo's model, Cahill doesn't see Paramount or even Comcast breaking even in streaming until 2027. Holy moly. They're not breaking even in streaming, meaning the costs of streaming. Disney Plus expects to be profitable by 2024. Even Disney Plus, which is right there with Netflix, isn't. And Warner Brothers Discovery should see Max break even by next year. So, I'm telling you, we're going to continue... Now, is this a sign of a turned-down economy? Yes, it is. Let's say you had Netflix and Paramount+. Plus. I just went to the store, like I'm sure you all did recently, and I left with three little bags. Three little bags, literally. And it was 100 bucks. Like, wow, for three little bags. Pay isn't, isn't going up anymore. It's not. It's actually going down. And the groceries are sky high and the choices down low. Where are we at? We're in a bad situation. It's going to get worse. I'm not going to tell you, but I just want you to know about it. I'm not saying be worried, but do open your eyes. I'd like to thank you for tuning in for another edition of Midnight Radio. Our website is midnightrad.io. We have some new articles coming out on there. Our phone number is 325-261-0892. If you'd like to call in, leave a comment or question about any of the stories that we've covered today, you can also email me at midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. Have you ever thought about becoming a DJ? We have some DJ positions open on our radio station. That's right. If you would like to be a DJ and you're serious about it, that is a prerequisite. You can email me midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com make the subject line i'd like to be a dj if you'd like our show please subscribe and hit that like button it really helps if you would like to support the show you can also do it financially if you hit the give button and it's a dollar sign right there anything helps Or if you'd like to become an executive producer, $20 or more will make you an executive producer. Thank you very much, and until next time, all my best.